0: This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets.
1: Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say, lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the labia lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between your legs. Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Nunga Country, and I pay respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Broken, your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your and the couch. A lady Hey, my lovely lumps, happy to have you back in the lounge with me because this one is going to be coming at you with some big matriarch energy as we tackle the topic of menopause with Jane Hardwick Collins, the founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. An international women's mysteries school. And Jane is a grandmother former home birth midwife for 30 years, a teacher, writer, and menstrual educator. She gives workshops on mother and daughter preparation for menstruation, the spiritual practice of menstruation, and the sacred dimensions of pregnancy, birth, and menopause. And she was the first person that I thought of when I was preparing to do a menopause episode and discuss this powerful rite of passage. So welcome, Jane. I'm so happy to have you.
0: Thank you so much, Freya. It's an Awesome opportunity to be here and talk about this so misunderstood, important Mm. rite of passage in our lives.
1: Hmm. Misunderstood key word. Let's see what we can do about that. Um, So I absolutely love the nature of your work and your your passion um, because it, it seems to cover all the stages of a woman's life when it comes to these rites of passage or transitions that we move through, like from menarche, our first bleed, to pregnancy and birth, all the way through to menopause. And I love this because these experiences are, like you said, so often misunderstood and vilified in the mainstream and we're pretty much encouraged to just bypass our bodies to avoid the messiness or the inconvenience of it all. Um, and from what I understand of your work, you're teaching women to, I guess, bring more reverence and ritual and sacredness to these transitions, to approach them as the rites of passage that they are and restore some forgotten wisdom uh, and respect for womanhood in all its seasons, which we will get into the meat of all of that soon. But um, And you can probably do a better job of explaining the nature of your work. <laughs> um, but for, for now, I'd love to give the listeners some context. So, are you able to give a really quick rundown on some of the fundamentals, such as, you know, what you know menopause what age do people generally go through it perimenopause how long can these periods last and just like a little bit of that side of things before we get into the the rest of it
0: okay so how menopause unfolds is there's some basic things that happen to everybody but there's an individual experience for each woman obviously you know in the same way that we give birth following a same sort of unfolding, but everybody has a different experience. The average age of a natural menopause, because there's other ways of having menopause, which I'll talk about Mm -hmm. in a second, but the average age is 50, 51. And Mm -hmm. so what that means is that five years before your last period, and you never know when it's going to be your last period, but about five years, and so you'd, you'd recognize that retrospectively probably more than anything, mm. the change begins. And the most common thing that changes is that we don't ovulate every cycle. And mm. I know from telling lots of women that when they're, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, that so many women have no idea about the signs of ovulation. So mm. mm-hmm. that would be something to make sure one knows about so one can tell when that changes but basically and just quickly that the signs of ovulation are fertile mucus so that's the what's called spinbarkite slippery stretchy mucus that happens around ovulation also increased energy and body awareness and libido and the other thing that heralds Ovulation is after ovulation, so it's useless for contraception, is that after you ovulate, your temperature goes up by 0.5, like so half a degree. So mm. you'd only notice that if you were, you know, taking your temperature Tracking. every day to even know that. But the yeah. other thing can that can be a sign of ovulation is a pain over your ovary. So mm. when those things stop happening that can be the heralder of the change. And the, the change is basically due to what's known as the first of two phases of menopause. And the first phase is about your progesterone levels lowering. So there, that's the one that's responsible for progest. So it's about promoting pregnancy. So what that looks like is lower progesterone looks like is the change in the length of cycle because you're not ovulating necessarily. And also progesterone is the feel good hormone. So we don't mm-hmm. have that sort of buoyancy that you have around ovulation and pregnancy, which can be the first thing that women notice. So I don't feel so up or good all the time mm-hmm. or whatever. So then there is a second phase of menopause where estrogen goes down as well as the progesterone going down so the first phase with the lower progesterone means that you have a dominance in estrogen which has all kinds of effects depending on what your estrogen levels are already and which is dependent on your the status of and health of your liver and Mm -hmm. the status of your adrenal glands due to how much stress you experience. So wow. that's that's kind of like the beginning of it. Now, the other kinds of, of uh, menopause that women can have are surgical menopause and chemical menopause and premature menopause. So premature um, menopause is rare and happens said to be under 40. So it's rare, but it yeah. happens. And then surgical menopause is when you have your ovaries removed. So you could have a hysterectomy where they leave the ovaries in and then you still cycle. Like you don't have a womb, so you don't have blood, you don't have a period, but your ovaries are still ovulating. And so Mm. you then, but the egg just gets absorbed into your inside somewhere. But the cycle of winding down fertility still happens, which is what menopause actually is. So then women who've had hysterectomies younger than their menopause time may or may not, you know, who knows, notice this happen. The Mm. menopause happen. And then chemical menopause happens when women receive drugs predominantly for cancer situations when they're uh, trying to make the tumor stop growing. So they do estrogen blockers and it turns off the ovaries and that's a chemical menopause. So, both those things, surgical and chemical menopause, don't have the natural kind of unwinding that mm. or slowing down that natural menopause has. So it's kind of like a bang, you're like in a sudden,
1: menopause. Mm. Yeah, which
0: is similar to an induction of labour in birth, mm. right? So often with inductions, you know, they pump your body full of the artificial syntocin on the artificial oxytocin which makes contractions and all of a sudden bang you're in heavy labor so it's the same with that surgical or chemical menopause bang you're in menopause so that can often be a bit much in the same way that induction of labor can be a bit much so yeah often though at those times in those situations then there could be a call for some of the menopause hormone replacement or HRT to to settle you down. But, you know, taking Mm. HRT, or it's got a new name now, menopause hormonal treatment, MRT or something, um, just rebranding, same thing. (laughs) Uh, That that can be, that's a very common um, drug protocol that women go on around menopause because they Um don't like the changes they're experiencing or they're too Mm. much or too inconvenient or too different, or they feel too different. But the thing about them is that they're not something you can stay on for a long time. I think the kind of recommended length of time is five years and then you have to go Mm. through menopause. So like Mm. a lot of thinking around this controversial, but, um, you know, in the kind of maybe anti-drug way of Mm. looking at it, that, Mm -hmm. You still have to go through menopause at some point, so why not go through the experience when your body's ready for it rather than putting it off for mm, you know, however long. Right. So, but, yeah. you know, women will choose what they need to choose, and mm. a lot of the way we manage ourselves through the experience, which is often called perimenopause, so peri means around, so that means either side of it, that um, there won't be um, – the, the, the things that arise for us during menopause both physically and emotionally and psychologically that they, they won't be random surprises actually because wherever you go there you are and menopause is like all rites of passage where whatever they are whether that's your menarch or any childbirth experiences and every pregnancy results in a birth. Whatever ends a pregnancy is a birth. So, miscarriages and abortions should be considered mm. at births in terms of what they teach us. So, whatever we experience in any rite of passage is like the culmination of our life thus far and like a readout of our mindset, our beliefs, attitudes, and fears. So, one of the things to know about menopause is we can't blame everything on menopause. You know, menopause. Mm is is the culmination of our life thus far. And one rite of passage leads to the next. Mm. So they're not random things. They're like, oh, shit, it's that. I have to face it, for
1: example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like the mainstream view of, or, you know, our sort of societal view of menopause that we see in the media, in our culture, is that it is this You know, it does get blamed a lot. It's it's a you know it's this negative experience. It's going to be challenging. You're going to be moody and lose your libido. Your vag is going to dry up and atrophy. You'll get hot flushes. Basically, it's like oh, look, your life and your use as a woman just shrivels away with your ovaries and your ability to bear children. And it's very much approached from this disease model where it's something to manage and fear and dread. And I'm wondering if you feel. Because I I feel, I mean, I haven't experienced it yet, but I feel like this would affect the way that we then actually experience menopause when this is the narrative that we've been brought up with and surrounded by around it, right?
0: Mm, Exactly. So, like, there's the first clue. Anything to do with the feminine or women that's put down, hidden, made a joke of or feared is a clue that it holds power, you know? Mm. Think about all the Mm. things that fall into that category menstruation, menstrual blood, um, childbirth, menopause, like they're places and times of massive power for us. So Mm. naturally in a patriarchy where the objective is to oppress women and the feminine, then the places and times and parts of our power like this are turned into something else and a way to control Mm. us, which sucks and sounds bad but get. Get with the program. It's actually what's going on. <laughs> it's
1: happening. It's happening. Yeah.
0: And so the there are also so many other ways in on the planet right now that uh, menopause is is perceived. So here's an ancient Native American, First Nations American saying: "At menarch, so that's first period. At menarch, a girl meets her power through mm-hmm. menstruation. She practices her power." and at menopause she becomes her power becomes mm. her power right and in tradition in traditional chinese medicine which is much more ancient than modern western medicine menopause is called the second spring so you know oh i love that exactly so yeah, reframe reframe you know so the experience we have at menopause is not just about the winding down of our fertility. It's also about, so the experience, and I'm talking, I'm, I'm purposely not saying symptoms because that implies it's a mm. disease process, right? And it's mm-hmm. not a disease process. Every woman will go through menopause. So the experience that we have is directly related, as I said already, to the status of your liver function and how stressed you are. In other words, your adrenal function. So mm. part of what happens in um, in menopause is your, our body adjusting to the changing hormone levels. So which our body's already well practiced at doing through the menstrual cycle. So there's The liver plays a huge role in basically metabolizing excess estrogen in time for the next menstrual cycle so that it's down low enough Mm. to be able to start the cycle again. So at menopause, it's a similar process where the body has to get used to less estrogen, basically. And so um, the estrogen that's in your body needs to be metabolized and turned into its, you know, bits, whatever it's Mm. made of and used or just excrete it or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. and the liver does that. Now, if Mm -hmm. your liver is busy doing other things that it prioritizes before metabolizing estrogen and that two main things is any poisons that your body has to um, move out of you because otherwise Mm -hmm. they're going to poison you. Like, so Mm -hmm. alcohol is Mm -hmm. a poison and will mm. be prioritized over estrogen and cortisol is a poison to our body and it will be yeah. prioritized over estrogen so when your mm. body has to break down estrogen sorry it break down alcohol and other drugs and mm. um and um cortisol, cortisol. then yeah, yeah then what it does is it parks the estrogen that it's supposed to be breaking down so that you can have a healthy menopause or a healthy menstrual cycle it parks that estrogen into your fat and then comes back and gets it later when it's finished doing all the other things but and if you don't have enough fat then you it, your body will make fat so that it can store the estrogen so yeah. <laughs> so you know that's a huge thing to know and it's mm. it encourages us to actually prepare for menopause so the worst thing one can do is arrive splat a drunken stress head into <laughs> menopause. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of women like that. Yeah. And your, sim- your symptoms, your experiences are going to be much more intense and severe. Yeah. So, and I mean so
1: many people go through their whole lives under so much stress now and putting so many toxins into their bodies, you know, endocrine disruptors and and poisons as you said like alcohol and things, <laughs> and our cycles are fucked and we've probably never had you know so many people probably have never had a particularly healthy regular uh, cycle. And so they've been sort of parking that estrogen all the way along and then they arrive at menopause just so, so in the red that of course it's then going to be this, you know, quite challenging experience. So, and, and we just don't get taught about this, you know, the liver and the adrenals and like stress is just that, that, oh, the most insane, like, um what do you call it the uh antagonist mm, <laughs> it's mm, a bad guy mm. it's the biggest bad guy mm. um but no one quite takes it seriously you know in in mm. the sort of like go 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 culture that we're in so um and then of course like I I like to sort of refer back to what I was talking about earlier with the attitudes and beliefs and the stories and narratives around menopause being this thing that's to be feared and dreaded and, um, you know, that that lowers our worth as a, as a woman because we're no longer these fertile, childbearing beings that have this, you know, this purpose and potential, that is a fucking stress. All this patriarchal bullshit, that is a stress that we're also internalising. So, yeah, that would then affect our experience of of menopause.
0: Totally, totally. So, you know, evolutionary biologists asked the question a little while ago, Why would human women live beyond their fertility? What could possibly be the use of them? Now, you know, I see you raise your eyebrows. Exactly. What a fucked up thing to even imagine to think. Oh, my God. So so they did the research. They went to nature, as evolutionary biologists do, to figure out why, in this case, why human women would live beyond their fertility. And what they found is that there are only five creatures on the planet that go through menopause, human women and pilot whales, orcas, beluga whales, and narwhals.
1: Oh, wow, oceanic, not what I was expecting. I thought you were going to say bonobos or something predictable. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so no. So only us and them, those five creatures, And so they looked at those toothed whales, as they're called, to figure out, well, why do they live beyond their fertility? What's the use of those? And what they found, and clearly this is the blueprint for mammals who go through menopause, what they found that the post-reproductive grandmother whales did or were was that they were the bosses. They were the leaders of the pods. And because they were there, because they were leading their pod, what happened was that their daughters and sons lived longer, more babies were born, and their grandchildren thrived. And that was because Mm. her age and experience, her wisdom, the wisdom of the post-reproductive grandmother, whether she's had babies or not, is what is required by the younger people. So the blueprint, the use the function of post-menopausal women is to be the leaders of their community. So just um, imagine for a moment what would happen <laughs> if that were the case.
1: That makes me think of a quote, um, I won't remember the exact quote, but it was from a book called Cunt, uh, Inga muskio I don't know how to pronounce her last name in it, and she's talking about how we need to have grandmothers in parliament and how we need to just be run, you know, our society needs to be run by grandmas because it's like, well, they're not sort of um, at, at, at the whim of fluctuating hormones any longer, they don't have to rear children anymore, but they have had the experience of rearing children and grandchildren and they've got the wisdom, they live, you know, we live live longer than men um and just that kind of grounded grandma energy she was like that's what we need to be running the world
0: <laughs> totally and that's yeah. what's going on in the whale world so our mm-hmm. whale sisters lead the way and we just have to catch up and realize that we are mammals which mm-hmm. means we're just a certain kind of animal and you know i think if if we remembered that so many things would make so much more sense including what um the role of the postmenopausal woman is so we you know we live in this patriarchal culture that's fixated on youth and beauty and instant gratification and 24/7 availability and go 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 which is not what the cycle is which is what runs everything and hence we're in this fucked up situation that we're in because we've pretended that we don't live in a cycle and women are the cyclical beings extraordinaire and menopause is part of that.
1: Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content, unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational, and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes, and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now, back to the episode. Yeah, yep. Big time. Well said. Oh, that's a soundbite if ever I heard one. I've had goosebumps on three separate occasions so far in this interview. So thank you. I'm very stoked about that. That's a good sign. Um, (laughs) I'd love to touch on something that people commonly refer to as like a symptom of menopause and that is our libido's dying. And I've actually like, you know, there's a bit of research around this that shows that actually a, a woman's... Uh, relationship satisfaction attitude towards sex and aging cultural background overall mental and physical health all of these things have a far greater impact on her sexual functioning than does being in menopause so do you have anything else to add to this just to reassure people like hey don't worry old people still love sex. You're not just gonna totally like wither away and you know, because that's something that people always talk about is is like the the loss in libido and let yeah, that the the hormones like chemically you have shifted. Um but this the sort of research is showing that actually no, it doesn't it doesn't actually impact your sex drive as much as everyone seems to believe.
0: What are your thoughts? Well, yeah. Well I think that again, we can can't speak generally here because there's so many things that impact Our libido. And one of the things is like people have studied libido and there's some great books about it. But one of the things that I um, learned was that one of the main factors that influences your libido is threat. So, yeah. So if you're in a, yeah, if you're in a long term Committed relationship where you trust each other and there's no threat, then Mm. libido goes down because it's not associated with threat anymore. So there's a comfort that moves into a long term relationship where threat is not part of libido. So in a long term post reproductive relationship, so we're talking post menopause, there needs to be. A, a different reason to connect physically to have sex, basically, especially, uh, yeah. especially when you know, for probably most of the relationship, what's been driving the libido, besides threat, is the um, fertility, because mm. fertility enhances libido, of course. So women have basically two two times in their cycle when their libido peaks and the first time is at their ovulation so their um which is usually midway through the
1: mm-hmm. cycle
0: and um that's obviously connected with the whole kind of purpose of of libido is to get pregnant and mm-hmm. um when you're ovulating you're fertile so your libido increases and then the the other time that Classically, women have an increased libido is just before they bleed. So Mm -hmm. they're very different libidos, though. So the libido Mm -hmm. associated with ovulation is like a fuck me. And the libido associated with just before um, bleeding is more like I'm going to come and fuck you. So um, I can hear you laughing silently there. but. That is, you know, that. that's the case. Yep. Yeah. So, so then when you're going through menopause, it's like the closest thing that I can have experienced to going through menopause is breastfeeding a newborn baby. Oh. You know, it's very similar to that kind of disturbed sleep, therefore tired, therefore mm. everything that goes along with tired, you know, like. Mm. Mood and um, weird eating habits, and you know all that mm-hmm. kind of yeah. all that kind of thing. And um, so, so often when women are navigating the hormonal changes, in the same way that women navigating life with a breastfeeding a baby every couple of hours during the night, like sex might well be the last thing on your mind. Yeah, and you know, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It means there's other things that are more important than that. It doesn't mean that you might not feel like you want to pleasure yourself because that's kind of a different thing Mm. and will be, like, associated with however often or whatever habits or not you've got Mm. around that kind of thing. But in terms of, of connecting sexually with another person, and let's assume we're talking heterosexual relationships here because lesbian relationships around sex and menopause are completely different mm.
1: totally mm.
0: different there's it's 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 a it's a whole other story and i've had many chats with lesbian women around menopause and i mean clearly there's all the stuff that you go on you go through emotionally and psychologically which impacts everything but lesbian lesbian sex is not about responding to a penis right it's about coming together in a different way for for the purpose of pleasure right so mm-hmm. in a heterosexual relationship around menopause the other thing that happens that really affects libido is the is the is the decrease of estrogen so mm-hmm. back I know I'm talking about lots of other things besides libido but that's the point right well, that's, it's, not it's all relevant yeah it. So at, at Menarch, our first period, um, <clears throat> the veil of oestrogen descends upon us. So we become under the influence of oestrogen for basically 40 years. So we have our menstrual cycle for about 40 years. So the he, he, sorry, oestrogen is known as the hormone of accommodation and sacrifice. So this has us accommodate other people's needs Mm. instead of our own and even before our own, and it has us sacrifice ourselves for whatever or whoever we have to look after. You know, now obviously our children, which is is a biological imperative and why this is all happening, and we are richly rewarded for it. Like we, we feel good, you know, we make other hormones which make us keep doing that. And so at around five years before your last period, when everything starts to change, this veil of estrogen, remember the hormone of accommodation and sacrifice, begins to rise. And then instead of like, oh, whatever you want, honey, it's like, "How? why the fuck am I the only one who does anything around here? So (laughs) if women have been accommodating their partners for however many years and doing whatever they think they have to do to, meet his needs, when this hormone of accommodation begins to wane, one of the first things they're going to be thinking is, what the fuck am I doing all the time? I'm not even thinking about myself here. Mm. 40 to 60% of divorces happen at menopause initiated by women. Mm. You know, this veil of estrogen. What the fuck am I doing here? Or who are you? Or who am I? Like, you know, like when the hormone of accommodation and sacrifice shifts, everything changes. And women feel different and they act differently. And the people around them are like, who are you? You've changed. Mm. And, you know, Mm. the answer has to be, well, actually, yes, I've changed. So that's all going on as well as any kind of wondering about libido. And then the other thing, the, the good part, the good thing is that you're much more likely to do do it when you want to rather than when you don't want to. And due to the relative increase in, in levels of testosterone, and they don't actually go up, but compared to estrogen and progesterone, it's higher than it mm. usually is in relation to that. Mm-hmm. So orgasms post-menopause are longer and stronger. Ooh. And, and, I, and apparently the clitoris keeps growing. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So, the other thing that we meet at around menopause in terms of our libido is the, 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 um, fractal connection to our first sexual experience oh wow so whatever starts something affects what unfolds and then menopausal sexuality is like a reset because you have to fit you have to be choosing other than conceiving purposes for having sex so Mm -hmm. you know pleasure um intimacy connection so your Mm. one's perception and relationship with pleasure and connection and intimacy at menopause is going to be directly related to however we were initiated into that in the beginning wow so two Mm. to three uh, two to three out of five people are sexually abused as children so if you're if you're initiation into your sexuality is like abuse Mm. then that affects you forever but it will most definitely show up around menopause when all of these things are being revisited because menopause is not just the the winding down of your fertility to quote dr christian northrup it's the mother of all wake-up calls Mm. everything you have swept under the carpet comes out at menopause Mm. And it is the rite of passage designed to heal all the unhealed parts of us. So Mm. we're ready at menopause to face things we often have been ignoring or have actually forgotten, buried. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so so much else is going on than a decrease in libido. So... (laughs) Of course, you know, but the focus is on that, right? The focus is on decreased libido and dry vagina, like dry. It's not dry. Like dry <laughs> means like not wet, right? If you any perimenopausal woman puts her finger in her vagina, it's not like a desert. It's just like the, you know, it's like the inside of your mouth. It's like it, it's it's a it's a wet, moist area. But what does change due to the hormones is the thickness the plumpness of the tissue like that's happening yeah. everywhere on the body like you know you yeah. can see my face my face is, <laughs> is like an old lady's face and that's because of estrogen because like looking at your face mm. your face is plumped up by the amount of estrogen that you have in you you know even your hands like the skin like it's it's about estrogen it's mm. not about becoming dry you know what I mean yeah. like
1: So we just choose
0: all the worst ways of describing things to to imprison women in this belief that, which is cultural, that if you're not, I mean, basically our culture idolises the 25-year-old or so woman, you know, the sexually Mm -hmm. available, beautiful, plump, Mm pre-ovulatory, orgasmic creature. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what all the ads have. That's what all the ideals are, you know. Yummy mummy gets her pre-baby body back in whatever. Oh you know, like (laughs) you know, everybody everybody has been led to believe in our culture, including young girls, like little girls, that the way the best way to look is like Barbie doll kind of thing. Yeah. And I say that because you know what I mean by that. And so totally. So for women. At my end of the spectrum, like I'm I'm eight years past my last period, which was not until I was 56 either. So, mm. you know, I'm 64. And you know, like in my um in my like growing up gang of girlfriends who I still see, mm. I'm like the experiment of what happens when you let yourself go, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't dye my hair. I've got no, <laughs> yeah. I've had no plastic surgery. I don't use Botox and I'm not on hormone replacement therapy. So mm-hmm. I'm actually like the example of what it looks like if you uh, actually have a um, norm, natural life, so to speak. And yeah. I don't mean that yeah. in any way of judgment. I mean, like, just like, when it unfolds in the way that it unfolds, totally, mm-hmm. and you know, like I'm a bit of an odd, odd one out in in uh, in many of the in many of the circles. Not the circles that I work with, or um, you know, but in the in yeah. the in the in the patriarchal culture, like I think one of the main complaints or fears or experiences of post-menopausal women is and they say it all the all the time in different ways I feel invisible.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Because they don't look like that 25-year-old anymore and invisible mm. to fucking who? The men on the street in the in the in the work clothes, <laughs> like who are whistling like oh. phew, like hello and hooray to not be bloody perved on anymore. But because Hardly. because that's like the the um, uh, measure of our, our visibility is how hot we look or not. Like, for yeah. fuck's sake, that's so, so far. Yes. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and menopause know. women, here, here. You, know, you know, menopause mm. women cannot, cannot compete with younger women for sexual attractiveness and they're not supposed to
1: be. Exactly. Exactly. That's the fucked thing. The, 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 the feeling of the need to try to compete with that and keep up the collagen. And, you know, it's just like, oh my God, babe, it breaks my heart. Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab. And the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't mas over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison? Or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review though, just be sure to only use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway... Oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five star button before we get on with it. And, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um. Oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God. I make myself cringe. Anyway. Uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Something that uh, I wanted to chuck in was, um, I, I did an episode on libido recently for anyone that's interested in going deeper into that. I think that came out a few weeks ago and that was a ripper. And there's a lot of stuff in there that no one realizes or thinks about libido because it's also, also there's a lot of misinformation about that. So everyone feel free to listen to that. But, um, I, I was also, um, reminded of a cool fact that I read about, Um, the sort of hormonal, so F FSH and LH that are neurotransmitters. They're they're sort of um generally around ovulation. Um, they're you know when you're most fertile, it means you know they make you more open to new ideas and like tapped into a source of creativity and energy and 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 feeling open and receptive. Like that's maybe a familiar experience for those that ovulate um and in menopause those neurotransmitters permanently stay elevated for the rest of your life so it stands to reason that post-menopause we would also have access to more of that sort of action of like openness and receptivity and creativity and the flow of new ideas and wisdom and you know so that's fucking cool yeah, um, and the
0: way the way that's <laughs> mostly experienced is increased visionary capacity and increased mm. intuition which is the experience mm. of the postmenopausal women and that is attributed to that lh and fsh increase and staying there
1: epic yeah and um oh, that makes right, sense say, right yeah it know, makes we,
0: it totally we need yeah. these grandmas out there bloody knowing what's going to happen and bringing it
1: yeah yeah exactly um something else I, I, I was like having all these thoughts as you were talking like oh my god I've got to remember to say this another thing that I was thinking was um, I guess we've sort of already touched on it but this whole thing around like when you enter menopause it it really depends if you've if you're in a healthy, happy place, if your physical and mental health are in a good place, then that will affect the experience. And that those are things that affect libido enormously as well. So like, yes, maybe it looks as though when you hit menopause, your libido takes a nosedive, but actually like research shows that if you are healthy and happy, that is definitely the key, then there's no significant decline in libido or sexual satisfaction or ease or difficulty reaching orgasm or even genital responsiveness, you know? And like, that's kind of massive because we do view it as like, oh, you know, like, yeah, libido dives and blah, blah, blah. But it, there's actually so many other factors that Im- impact that um more so than menopause. But I think it's just become so normalized that we are all pretty unhealthy and pretty, pretty sort of in, you know, in a rut and where we've been stressed our whole lives and we, we have all of these like toxins. I don't know. I just, I get pretty, um, pretty sad when I think about just the sort of average state of health that, like your average woman is in and the amount of menstrual problems and difficulties with, you know, hormones and this and that. And it's, and it's because of the lifestyle that we lead, you know, so then it's all getting blamed on like, oh, she's just on her rags. She's got a period. Oh, yeah, going through menopause. It's like, well, those things are not inherently problematic or challenging. It's actually the lifestyle that you're leading that, and, and, and these things are actually just barometers, like, your period and menopause, it's like, how how well have you been taking care of yourself? Not that well. Oh, you're gonna have a bit of a shit one now then, you know. Yeah,
0: totally, exactly. So that's it. You know, we can't be blaming menopause on all of this. And the other thing that shows up in menopause is your experiences of having babies. Because, mm. you know, one rite of passage leads to the next and you are the the one you have, like now prepares you for the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And so, when women are having traumatic birth experiences, like you know, no surprises yeah. that that all comes out at menopause, and it all comes out mm. purposefully so that we can heal them. And if you don't go deep into them, then it just ends mm. up being turning off to it and the healing opportunities mm. of it, and 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 mm. just believing your body doesn't work, for example. So, you know, yeah. like, and, and the amount of menstrual pathology that we are experiencing as a sisterhood is like mm. through the roof and increasing all the day, every day, yeah. I mean. So endometriosis, mm. polycystic yeah. ovary, and infertility are all mm. menstrual cycle pathology, and that's like mm. increasing all the time. And like yeah. you say, you know, our lifestyles, but all, the pollution, yeah. you know, we live in yeah. a world that is polluted by estrogen and and plastic yeah. which pretends to be estrogen so you know it's 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 not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Don't touch receipts, everybody. Massive sources of BPA, endocrine disruptor. It's going to fuck your period up. They're, it's everywhere. It's like, as soon as you start looking out for endocrine disruptors, you're just like, oh my God, no wonder my period's messed up. No wonder I've got PCOS. It's just almost unavoidable. Um, Anyway, that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> I have done um, – if anyone's curious about you know, the stuff we were talking about around um, knowing when you ovulate and, and this menstrual awareness, I've done an epi- episode on um, fertility awareness and menstrual cycle awareness and stuff from ages ago with Dr. Madeline. Um, but I want to jump in with the segment Get Pregnant and Die. Don't have sex
0: because you will get pregnant and uh, die. Don't have sex in the missionary position, Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it promise
1: Before I've just gotten so carried away. there's all this, I love talking about this stuff. Um, but before we get back into the the meaty stuff, let's do get pregnant and die. So do you have a story for us around your sex education that you'd like to share?:
0: Well, I think that um, it wasn't really a thing when I was growing up. I remember in mm. high school when I was probably fourteen or 15. I went to an all-girls high school in Sydney, and they sat us down in a dark room and showed us a movie of uh, women having babies to scare us out of getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. So that That was really about it. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that you know, like, i I didn't learn very much at all. It was all just experimenting, you know, uh, as I grew Mm -hmm. up. But one of the things that I I did learn recently, which I am so um, blown away about and want to share with everybody and do share with everybody, is the actual size of the clitoris. Mm. And I um, if we were doing visual here, I would show it to you and tell you that, <laughs> You can buy an anatomical model of a life-size clitoris and it barely fits in your hand. It's gigantic. (laughs) You know, the clitoris is actually, has more erectile tissue in it than a penis. And is, if you imagine your genitalia and, and your vulva, the your vulva, your labia majora, the outside parts of your vulva are full of clitoris and mm. it has wings out the side that kind of go towards your legs and up inside your vagina, it's gigantic. And this is a yeah. recent discovery by a female <laughs> gynecologist in Melbourne, Dr. Mulligan. So if you Google anatomical uh, life size anatomical image of the clitoris you can actually buy them as well and i suggest everybody reacquaint themselves with this amazing part of our our um anatomy Mm. and that's what i would offer but the other thing just quickly clitoris is its own name but sadly a lot of the parts of our female genitalia are named after men named after the men who discovered them and uh-huh. I think that's a really important thing for us to remember, like fallopian tube or Bartholin's gland or the G spot mm-hmm. or any. Of, they're all they're all actually little yep. flags in our anatomy with a man's name on it, which yep. is fucked. <laughs> totally
1: colonized <laughs> bodies. Oh God, it's so grim. Colonized bodies. Fuck. Yeah, thank you for that. I've I've definitely heard people rebranding, you know, the G-spot, which is Grafenberg, named after Graffenberg, as like the goddess spot instead. Nice. And, you know, people yeah. giving them other names and things. So that's nice. Do do whatever you need to do to yes. reclaim. Yes. Um so something that I've got a little quote that I wrote down that I really love, and it sort of leads into my next line of questioning. But the quote is from Tamara Slayton and it's Menopause, when understood and supported, provides the next level of initiation into personal power for women. I think of the perimenopause and the 20 to 30 years following menopause as a time of ripeness. Instead of rose buds, we become rose hips, juicy fruit that contains and nurtures the seeds we will sow later. And I feel like, you know, we have talked about this a bit, but I'd like to give it a bit more space because I feel like, you know, contrary to societal conditioning, you're just getting started in menopause in a lot of ways. Like rather than just declining into irrelevance and aging and unworthiness and infirmity and dry vaginas, like, you know, so, you know, I, I, I think, um, Some of the ways that, and not talking from experience, just I'm a nerd about it and I love reading about it. Um, but some of the things, uh, you know, menopause actually frees a person up for is like you were saying, like living, like an even more rich and authentic life, being so much more true to themselves and their own needs, not doing the people pleasing sort of ease and appease shit anymore. You know, childbearing's over, so there's newfound energy to put towards doing what she actually wants to do, less tolerance for bullshit and relationships and careers and just aspects of life that don't serve her or feel nourishing or fulfilling. Um, the hormonal sort of swings or the mood swings and up and downs of having a cycle cease. And so like hormonal balance is restored, which means we're more stabilized and free than ever before to pursue like a purpose and, and, and live life for ourselves. These are the things that I've kind of read about where I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much So much sense. Do you have you experienced that? Do you see that? Or are you more sort of coaching women to actually see it that way and start to take advantage of these benefits? Or have I missed any? Like, what are your thoughts on that from actual experience?
0: Mm, Totally. So, I think another way for us to understand what happens in menopause is that menopause is the beginning of the autumn season of our lives. Mm, So, from zero to 25, it's like the spring from 25 to menopause, it's the summer. And then from menopause till about 70, it's the autumn. So mm. that that in and of itself explains the purpose and the role of that season. So, mm. you know, it's about the harvest. It's about sharing your harvest. It's It's actually mm. our responsibility. And if we just go back to the whole whale story, you know, mm. there's a role to be fulfilled. And so I think that it's, it's part of like eldership and so many people are complaining that there's no elders but they're just ignoring them and they're or they're hiding in plain view or the elders don't realize they're elders but another piece I would add to this is that I learned from one of the amazing aboriginal elder women who teaches about their um rites of passage and stuff and I, I sat with her and I asked her about menopause and said that, like, in our Western world, we're led to believe that we need to renegotiate things for menopause. We need to kind of figure out different ways of being with so, things so we can get back into it or, or whatever. And she, uh. she she said, ah, no, that's not what it is. She said, I don't know any women, kuri or White, who are ready for the honour of of that rite of passage she said it's not business as usual after menopause menopause is a whole new post menopause is a whole new role it's not Mm. renegotiation it's a whole new role she said the role of the Mimi which is their name for that is to weave the dreams for the grandchildren
1: oh goosebumps
0: yeah so you know that's what Min Maya said and and I feel that and I see that as our responsibility, you know, and what that mm-hmm. looks like for me is that I want to be that old lady who the great-grandchildren or great-grandchildren say, Grandma, what did you do back then in, the in you know, in the 2020s when it really mattered <laughs> what you were doing and how it would impact us and the earth that we were going to inherit mm-hmm. from you? What did you do? So I'm going mm-hmm. to be one of those people who says i did everything i could to ensure that you know the earth was going to be okay for you and you know who knows whether Mm. that works or not but i feel like my experience um, on the other side of fertility is similar to how you explained it i'm i'm much more stable my hormones aren't going Mm. as far up and down as um they do in a menstrual cycle. And I still have a cycle like everybody who doesn't have a cycle for whatever reason, pregnant, um, Mm. breastfeeding, a man, um, Mm -hmm. a postmenopausal woman, their cycle is the lunar cycle. So Mm. I'm much more connected to the cycles uh, around me than the cycle that was driving my life. And Mm. I have therefore got more energy and it's, it's a gentler process than, than a mm. menstrual cycle. And so I feel like it's, it's different post-menopause, of course. And before my, I came to menopause, I thought, Oh my God, I'm I'm never going to, it's never going to be okay. I'm so attached to my menstrual cycle. I love my blood. <laughs> I No, oh no. But actually, you know, it's, it's, it's different in a whole new world. And, as a midwife, I didn't think that there could possibly be anything more transformational than giving birth until I went through menopause.
1: Wow. Huge call. Wow. Mm. So fucking cool. I'm so, yeah, so glad I've got you on the podcast. <laughs> um. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I'm slightly conscious of time. Do you have another like 10 or 15 just to wrap this up? Certainly. Okay. Beautiful. Um, So I'm I'm wanting to know how in your work, how do you support people through the transition of menopause aside from helping change their beliefs about it, which I guess is probably a gigantic part. Is there anything else that might be super practical and helpful for the listeners with regards to making it a smoother journey and making the most of its gifts?
0: Absolutely. So This arcs back to the whole concept that I said that, you know, you can't blame everything on menopause. So Mm -hmm. how I help women prepare or make sense of their experience or retrospectively make sense of their experience is to remind them that one rite of passage leads to the next. So Mm -hmm. to do a real kind of archaeological dig into your past. So... The first thing you want to know is how were you born and figure out what your birth imprint is and how that's been playing out all your life. Go into your childbirth, sorry, into your childhood trauma. Like how were you traumatized or wounded as a child? Because that's happening all the time. So deal with your childhood trauma. Remember your menarche and understand that whatever happened at your first period taught you how you're supposed to behave as a woman. And a message was given to your maiden self about how you're supposed to behave. So usually the experience is don't make a fuss, hide your period, pretend nothing's happening, and whatever you do, don't leak or you'll shame us all. So that gives us a message about being a woman, like you're not important, ignore your body, and don't let anybody know if you're not feeling okay, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. So she who was initiated into womanhood at Menarche is the woman who shows up to give birth completely brainwashed by how she's supposed to behave, like roll over and do what the experts tell you. So just quickly, the most important things one needs to remember to navigate menopause is what your experiences of giving birth taught you because one rite of passage leads to the next and that's what Mm. is preparing you for menopause. So this goes for women who haven't had babies as well because when we're in the summer season of our lives, we are the creatrix and we conceive, gestate, birth and have to look after all manner of things besides humans, you know, Mm. careers, projects, businesses, Mm. gardens, whatever. And each birth, so this is the thing to prepare for menopause, chronologically record all your births. Now, if you haven't had babies, do your careers, et cetera. But if you've had babies and including abortions and miscarriages, write down the stories chronologically and then go to the first one and ask yourself, what did this teach me about myself? And it could be something you had to draw on from deep within you to actually, you know, go have the experience, or it could be something you didn't have or didn't do. So just as a quick example, my first experience of giving birth taught me about surrender because I didn't surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, often (laughs) women can learn about support because they didn't have any, for example. So figure out Mm -hmm. what each one taught you. But before you go to the second one, you have to ask, Did I take the teaching of the first one to the second one? Or did I have to have a repeat performance to learn the same thing? Often the case. (laughs) And you've got to find the thing that it taught you in the way that it might not have been what you did, like in the way that I just said, surrender. So figure out what this is basically what I'm saying, talking about now is what's what I've called your birthing formula. So you whittle down these teachings to one or two words in a sequence. And then that's what you need for menopause. So as another example, my three births taught me surrender, trust, and be present. So then I needed to remember that when I started to navigate menopause because, and the reason I know I needed, so this this is what my experience taught me, and this is what I teach women, and it's fucking amazing, and it works every time. So what I noticed when I started going through menopause was, that I started to feel the same way I felt when I was having my first baby. Like, wow. I'll endure this, this, and I'm going to do whatever I can to avoid feeling what I'm feeling. <laughs> I didn't want to have HRT because I didn't want to be drugged, but I was trying to think of all the other ways I could avoid it. And then I noticed and I thought, oh, my God, I've done this So This old chestnut. <laughs> yeah. But so then I realized I had to surrender. <laughs> which basically meant stop obsessing and trying to change it and whatever, fight it. Mm, mm. And then I re- thought, oh, okay, so now the next one thing I learned was trust. So then I have to trust the process. And I'm mm. quite prepared to trust the process of menopause. It's it's a process to trust. And then my next teaching was be present. So, you know, if a, mm. the present moment is actually the only thing that's happening and also the safest place to be. So yeah. my birth taught me to surrender, trust, and be present. So then I needed that for menopause. I needed to surrender, stop obsessing about it and trying to stop it or control it. Mm. Then I needed to trust the process, and then I just have to be in the present moment. And then yeah. that that birthing formula not only works for menopause, it works for anything and everything. So that's really the the thing that I focus on helping women with menopause the most is to help them realize what they already know what they've already life has already taught them because that's what they need for their next thing
1: Mm. and if they haven't given birth and they're going through menopause would you get them to look back to their menarch or like use a different rite of passage that they have been through to sort of all the other things from that
0: all the other things they birthed, so it'd be like a career Uh, oh yep yep so so Mm. the the conception is the idea to become a, a marketing specialist, for example, just mm-hmm. as, a, as a suggestion. The, the pregnancy is the university degree, the process, mm-hmm. and then the birth is them as whatever they've trained to be. So the yeah. question is, so if the birth is you as a, um, um, you know, an advertising and marketing person, the pregnancy was the uni degree or whatever mm-hmm. the training was, so what did that whole thing teach you? So you use those things chronologically and it works, works completely same way. Wow. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing, Mm. I don't know, but I'm guessing that how what you then learn from menopause is the next thing. And then I'm guessing that that's what you need for death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! Wow! Oh, love that. That's so practical as well. Like everyone can just think back and start reflecting on that and doing that. So thank you. That's awesome. I'm going to have to do some journaling when I get off this
0: call. <laughs> and then also, as you said, the menarch is a huge factor mm. because yeah, and that really impacts how we give birth, whether it's to babies or projects as well, and yeah. our our yeah. relationship with our menstrual cycle. You know, like if, yeah, if if, if you switched off your cycle in whatever way there's so many of them whether that's actually or just psychologically then Mm. that that costs you have there's there's a payback for that
1: yeah yeah wow uh before we wrap up i want to do tmi TMI, TMI, do you have a tmi story that you feel comfortable sharing with us
0: Certainly. And I want to, I'm going to, I thought of something to do with menopause and I didn't know this. I didn't know that this would happen. And I don't actually think it's too much to share because I think everybody needs to know it, but it would be something that a lot of people wouldn't talk about.
1: Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs, yep, you heard that right, I even have labia lounge bathers, or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh if fashion isn't your passion though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a one off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I'll be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. And um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later.
0: And um, three other physical changes that happened. So, uh, and this happened like well into years after. So it must have been like when the hormones are really getting to their, the mm. place they're going to stay. The first thing that I noticed was that my nipples changed colour.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And they went back to like a light pink, which was what they were like before I was
1: fertile. Wow. So that was okay. interesting. Okay. Huh. Have you spoken to other women and that's happened to them too? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. But
0: it may also do have to do with my colouring too. So, I mean, I'm not, uh, um, I'm olive skinned and maybe that, mm-hmm. the browning of the nipples, I don't know, but right. that happened. The other thing that ha- happened <laughs> is my labia is like half the size, like the labia oh. shrinks. That but your clit as- still grows. Yeah, exactly. So it's not oh, as good. plump. So the labia is there's le- less of a handful. <laughs> uh-huh. And and pubic hair falls out. Oh, wow. I haven't like had- thinning hair. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't even have any hairs on my
1: legs anymore. Wow. How interesting. <laughs> huh? Oh, if you had a told me when I like teenage me who was crippled by self-consciousness about my body hair, I would have been racing to get to <laughs> menopause. <laughs> would have saved yeah. me a lot of uh laser hair removal in my yeah, in my yeah. and, late teens. Jesus. Yeah, and
0: I don't know if that happens to everybody or it's just my particular body type, but
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: that's something that happens. Mm.
1: Hmm, yeah, wow. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is the most on brand TMI story because it is exactly <laughs> like you said, something that, you know, people probably wouldn't use as conversation fodder at the dinner table, but <laughs> it is important to talk about because how would we know otherwise, you know? Exactly. Um, oh, epic. I've got a tiny little TMI. It's not much of a TMI, but I just I just thought I'd let you know that. I met your son on a dating app years ago, <laughs> and that's how I know about you. Um, we never met up in person; we just had lots of lovely text conversations. But um, yeah, he seems like a legend. And then my, I told um, my friend who did your shamanic womancraft um, initiation or journey, and she absolutely adored it. And she was, so, she's like, "Oh my god, you've got to marry him! If his mum is Jane, then like, holy shit! You know, that's that's right up your alley." Uh... So funny. <laughs> (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, anyway, I have a little quote that I also from Dr. Christian Northrup that I want to end on because it just sort of encompasses what we've been speaking about. Um, She says, whatever we call it, no other stage of a woman's life has as much potential for allowing a woman to understand and tap into her own power as this one. If that is, she is able to negotiate her way through the general cultural negativity that has surrounded menopause for centuries. These are the years when all of a woman's life experience comes together and can be used for a purpose that suits her. Once a woman understands that the true meaning of menopause has been inverted and degraded, like many other processes of her body, she can reverse this programming and make her way through the rest of her life fortified with purpose, insight and pleasure love that I feel like yeah that's that's just wrapping up everything that you've spoken about and I so appreciate your time and your wisdom and your passion it's just been like I've been covered in goosebumps like most of the interview for fuck's sake (laughs) (laughs) thank you so
0: much for the opportunity to talk about all of this stuff with you
1: Hmm. Pleasure. Well, I'll put links to your work in the show notes and on the Facebook uh, Labialange group. Um, and Jane has also given us a little freebie ebook, which I'll link. So highly recommend checking out Jane's work and following her and just like just getting around this stuff it doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're actually approaching perimenopause or if you're postmenopause. like this is such valuable information that I think should just be a lot more well known and everyone should be learning about it and talking about it um so yeah please share this episode because it's so oh so jam-packed with value so Mm. thank you so much Jane. Thank you Freya and good
0: on you for doing this work you know you're you're filling in a really really important role of helping people especially women like actually understand Mm -hmm. what's going on and to Mm -hmm. dig through all the bullshit and find the truth so I really want to say thank you for doing that
1: yeah thank you love it goodbye (laughs) everyone (laughs) and that's it darling hearts And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyagraph.com, or say hey over on Insta. My handle is freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there, because <laughs> Damn! we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.